All right, we're we're on. This is uh, hey, this is Andrew. We're back with the uh, podcast Profusion. We've got Justin Roffling Chauffeur. Uh, did I did I pronounce it correctly, Justin Roffling Chauffeur? You nailed it. Good job. Good. This guy, and I'd been watching his content, and it just caught my eye. And uh, he was he was a former NHL NHL performance coach, correct? And now you've part. I don't know if parlay is the correct word, but moved into health performance and business coaching. That. Yeah, I think I think when you back up and you kind of take a look at what it is that you do, when you think about how somebody performs, if I was to come and say, okay, Andrew, what's your definition of performance? This is a live question. I, I know we didn't prep. Yeah, for this, yeah, yeah. Um, my definition of performance, uh, I, that's, that's a great question because I love the word high performance, right? So I think that performance means there's a kind of a standard, right? And am I hitting that, right? And it, whether I guess whether I'm exceeding that or coming in under that would be my my performance, sort of like a goal almost. I I, I don't know. This is kind of like just off the top of the head. You know, you probably yeah, it's good. studied this a little bit more. It's good because so again, I've asked this question probably to close to fifty thousand people by this point um, in workshops and keynotes and uh, all these different. Uh, platforms and scenarios. And I often get a lot of very similar answers. It's attaining goals, it's efficiencies, it's winning, it's accomplishing something, it's uh, finishing what you started. So these are all things that, that I that I get from people. And these are all very high performing individuals, people who um, are running multi-million dollar companies, people who are managing uh, two, three, four, five hundred um, employee team, uh, employee based teams, uh, athletes, uh, making hundreds of million dollars of hundreds of millions of dollars over their careers. And those are the answers that were, that are being, uh, provided or, um, thrown out there. But I always interrupt them because at the end of the day, we've said performance is based on outcomes, but that's actually not what performance is all about. Performance is all about preparation. And so in understanding high performance for the last 25 years, the biggest thing that I've focused on is creating a new definition. And that definition is the capacity and desire to intentionally and consistently behave at a level equal to your mental, physical, spiritual, emotional potential. Now, I know that's a big sentence and I want to break it down. So capacity and desire, we don't have a desire issue. Everybody wants to have the platform. Everybody wants to have the energy. Everybody wants to have the mental clarity. Everybody wants to have the influence. It's not a desire issue. It's a capacity issue. We don't have the capacity to do what's required intentionally and consistently over the course of time to see the outcomes that are inevitable. You want to build a $10 million business? It's actually very simple. It's just not easy. You want to become one of the best athletes in the world? It's actually pretty simple. It's just not easy if you're gifted with that talent. When I was a child, my dad said to me, talent will get you noticed, but consistency will get you paid. It's all about being consistent in this space. And so intentionality and consistency is what needs to happen over the course of time in order to do 
whatever it is that you've set out to do. But if you do not have the capacity, there's no way that you're going to be able to ultimately hit that peak potential of what already exists. And so what ends up happening is people find themselves in this, what I call potential gap, where the potential is here. They understand where they want to go. They've got this bar set high, which you just mentioned, but their reality is so much less than so much further away from their true potential because their habits, behaviors have ultimately shaped them to be this way. Their defaults have set them up to not reach the potential, but thus fall under. And they have this internal dissonance that continues to hold them back and frustrate them. And so by coming back around and focusing on how do we increase capacity, how do we make sure our behaviors are intentional and consistent, make sure that we close that gap between your reality, what you experience day to day, and what your true potential is for what you've been created for. And when we're able to do that in a very systematic way, your systems ultimately determine whether you're going to be successful or not. And so if we can operate off of systems, systems that we can continue to come back intentionally and make sure that we're implementing consistently, that's how we know and can ultimately make sure that we're winning or finding performance at a high level over and over and over and over again. Because our outcomes are simply the lagging effect of our habits and behaviors. And if we can do them intentionally and consistently, we're going to have the capacity to be able to do whatever it is that we want. I, I like this because this is very thought provoking because it almost you could I, there's there's a debate. There's a, there is a debate here. There obviously is, but I feel like I could say, well, what about working smart instead of working hard? Cause that statement is all about working hard. And I, and I want to ask you, you worked in NHL performance, correct? Correct. So what, what did you have some sort of, I guess you would call it a case study where this, where this occurred. So I mean, up until probably five years ago, um, just because I hated the name, uh, everyone called me the data guy because that's what I, that's what I did. Um, starting at 12 years old, um, when my father said, son, talent will get you noticed, consistency will get you paid. I wanted to figure out what, how do I become the most consistent version of myself? What does this actually look like? And so I leaned into what it is that I could control the most, which was my habits and behaviors. How did I live? How was I eating? How was I sleeping? How was I hydrating? What was my environment I was putting myself in? What was my immune system operating like? How was I um, uh, training and ultimately recovering? How was I managing stress? All of these things were within my control and I could ultimately put certain habits and behaviors into place so that I could understand my body. And so I started wearing a heart rate monitor uh, to sleep, a pulse oximeter to... Uh, to sleep, a brainwave sensor uh, throughout the day to monitor uh, brainwave patterns. And this is at 13, 14, 15 years old. Like I was a weird child, um, yeah. far, far ahead of my time. Uh, I was talking to my docs um, about all of my blood work. Like I, it wasn't enough just to say, oh yeah, you're a healthy 14 year old kid. I wanted to know, okay, what is the actual makeup in my blood and what's actually going on? How can I continue to change something? And so going back to your statement, it's actually working smart, not hard. That's exactly what performance is all about, is how can you work smarter, not harder, because in this world, we're constantly just doing. 
And instead of just doing, we need a plan. And without a plan, we're just taking these swings that really have no impact or effect on a positive outcome that we're going towards. And so when I talk about performance and what we do is we help man help people understand their bodies at a higher level. And there's one metric that we've been able to identify that helps us understand how our body's handling stress and strain. Because over the course of time, whether you're a professional athlete, whether you're a high performing, high achieving, high striving individual, whether you're an entrepreneur, a business owner, uh, or a mom or a dad that wants to elevate their life experience, you have to be able to know where you are today because stress is necessary and stress is a regular part of life. Strain is necessary. It's a regular part of life. But what has to happen is we have to find a rhythm between stress, overreaching and strain and recovery. And if we don't, we ultimately just end up in this chronic state of stress. And this is what people have found is their life cycles is it's constant stress. It's chronic stress overload. And thus your nervous system can't handle, doesn't have the capacity to ultimately get you to where you want to go. Because if we're constantly taking on stress and we don't have the ability to recover, we can't grow the cup in which we're ultimately taking water into. It's just constantly taking water in and it's overflowing. And the overflow in our body, that reaction is inflammation. So the reaction of chronic stress in our body is chronic inflammation. Chronic inflammation creates chronic symptoms, chronic symptoms like fatigue, chronic symptoms like overwhelm, chronic symptoms like weight gain, chronic symptoms like brain fog, chronic symptoms like inability to sleep, chronic symptoms like waking up in the middle of the night. All of these chronic symptoms that the world has told us is normal. It's normal to be uh, for an entrepreneur to go through these things. It's normal for a mom or a dad to go through these things. It's normal for a high striving, high, uh, high pushing person to go through these things, but they're all lies. And I call that area fake health, disease-free, but symptom full. And we justify being in this space. But the moment that we understand what we're doing from a habit and behavior standpoint that has led to this outcome, remember, every outcome you have is inevitable simply based on the habits and behaviors that you have been engaging in because your habits and behaviors are, or pardon me, your outcomes are simply the lagging effects of your habits and behaviors. You don't like your outcomes? Don't blame the circumstance. Don't blame society. Don't blame everything around you. Blame the habits and behaviors and create change. You want something different? You have to do something different. If nothing changes, nothing changes. And so we have to take a look internal. And when we know how our body's handling stress and strain, we can ultimately be proactive in establishing new habits and behaviors so our outcomes can be that way. And through all of my research, all of my doctoral work, all of my case studies through the NHL and through working with uh, hundreds of thousands of um, entrepreneurs, executives, business owners, we've been able to bring it down to one metric and that metric is heart rate variability. And the definition of heart rate variability is it's a language that's communicating with you how your body is handling stress and strain mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, because our body cannot dissociate between these four forms of stress. Mentally, you can be um, uh, completely stressing over um, your kids going off to college. Emotionally, you could be in a fight with your spouse. 
spiritually. You could be really just unhappy in your job or in a season where it feels very dark all the time because you, you're just struggling with what your purpose is. Physically, you could be trying to get fit and running five, six, seven miles a day or going and doing, uh, trying to put on muscle mass and doing heavier workouts than you usually have before. Um, or training for something like a marathon or a triathlon or a, a cross. Uh, I got I to jump in. I, I feel like, yeah. So, so you're, so in doing this, yeah. your body doesn't know the difference between any of these forms of stress. And because we're not aware of this, it just continues to accumulate, 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 and actually shrink our capacity that we're able to handle over the course of time. So th this is interesting that you bring up HRV and, uh, um, because I just finished a three day fast. Have you ever done that before? Yeah. And it ha like my HRV went, that was one of the biggest things that changed during my fast. It went up 50%. And I was, cause I've always been attempting to figure out how to get my HRV higher. And I, it's kind of like, I, I can't figure it out. I almost sort of gave up on it. And I'm like, I did this and that, that was, and my resting heart rate also went down and uh, my respiratory weight rate also went down. I have a whoop strap. I'm assuming you have one too. And, uh, my respiratory rate went down, my HRV went up and my, uh, what, what, what did I say? The other one was the, um, resting heart rate, resting heart rate went down. I've been trying to get respiratory. I'm not sure what the value is in the respiratory, but resting heart rate, I've been trying to get down and HRV, but I kind of gave up, but it's interesting how in food impact can impact these items. So this is, and again, this is going back to just what own it is all about. So when we talk about own it, it's the very first holistic, fully integrated, all-in-one um, health and performance spot. So we do best-in-class coaching with best-in-class technology paired with best-in-class testing. And so, and we wrap it all together and we create your personalized plan as to how to implement lifestyle and behavior changes. And we literally hold your hand through the process with a coach holding you accountable, guiding you, educating you and helping you. And so if we can reach, teach and empower you, that's when real sustainable, true behavior change happens. So if I back up to what you just said, what, what this tells me from just your fast and you going through this is that what you're eating on a regular day, day basis or how you're hydrating on a regular day basis. And even a combination of the three is creating a lot of inflammation within your system. And so you're eating things that either a, you are creating micronutrient deficiency within your body with number two, being chronically hydrated or chronic, chronically dehydrated. Part of me is going to cause more undue stress to your system food that you're eating is creating chronic inflammation within your system, meaning that what you're eating, you're probably having a difficult time digesting. Maybe you're not getting uh, the proper vitamins, minerals, and amino acids into your system. So that's, again, causing your body to think that you're not actually having exactly what it is that you need within your body. Um, and then you're probably eating quantity-wise too much chronically day-to-day. And so we need to start shifting portion sizes, um, maybe uh, macro breakdowns, all of these things we can get much more specific with, but that's just a very simple sign. Now, here's the thing that I want everybody on this podcast to listen to and hear, because just because Andrew went and did a three day, did you, I'm guessing you did a three day water fast. I did water. I, I heard it. Dana White did this. I'm not sure if you heard it yet. 
right when I heard it, I've been thinking about fasting anyways. And I was like, you know what? I'm just doing it. And he said water first day. I think it was electrolytes the second day and the third day. And then bone broth, he said, but I, I tasted it. I didn't like the bone broth, so I didn't drink a whole lot of it. And that was it. Yeah. So again, um, and I, again, I caution everybody to not just hear something from Dana White or hear something from somebody else and try it because it can be actually very dangerous or even ill-advised for, from a health standpoint. And the reason I say that is because everybody's body's unique. Everybody's body's different. And so the reaction of one person's body, because maybe they have a lot of mental and emotional stress going on in their life and that's peaked out and all of a sudden adding on a three-day water fast is going to break the camel's back in terms of stress because again, a three-day water fast is stressful on the body. So we have to make sure we have capacity in order to handle what the three, three day water fast is going to do. And then as you go through that three day water fast, it's going to open up more capacity for you. If your body is prepared and, and ready to handle it in the season, in the stage of life, or, uh, even in the season, uh, of where you're currently at. And so I really encourage people to do it effectively and well by just understanding their body at a higher level. You say water fast. Does that mean no water? Or does that mean yes, wa only water? So you would use, you would use only water. So it'd be water, electrolytes, amino acids, um, as really what you're using as your, as your nutrient levels, because there any fast where you'd recommend no liquids, like no water at all. Yeah, no, no, no absolutely no. not. No, there's no fasting at all. No, no, that's, I mean, all the data and science will show you that, um, we can go about a week without food before we start seeing major, uh, energy loss, major, um, uh, harmful body shifts. And then, uh, it's about three days, uh, before certain, uh, three days without water, um, before our bodies actually start shutting down in certain capacities. 75% so of our body's made up of water. Um, every single function in our, in our body requires water. Um, and so it's, it's, it would be a, an absolute, no, no. Um, but when you start to think about the difference between males and females, if you start as a female to do intermittent fasting and prolonged fasts, three-day water fasts, five-day water fasts, um, even monthly uh, fasts as a female, it can actually, um, again, a lot of the data, a lot of the research shows that it can actually start to trigger um, early onset menopause. And so, uh, and then even in males, as you start to do prolonged intermittent fasting, uh, you can actually start to see major dips and drops in testosterone uh, and primarily free, uh, free bioavailable testosterone, um, which is obviously the driver in the sex hormone creation and uh, the libido and the, the, the energy and everything else. And so why I'm so such an advocate of understanding your body and doing things in a very personalized way is when you start to back up and you think about this, we're creating problems for other industries to start taking on. So many people have started to talk about uh, peptide therapy and hormone therapy and testosterone replacement therapy, TRT. And at the end of the day, if we actually just backed up and managed stress levels at a better level, optimize sleep, started to work out and train the way that we needed to and stopped intermittent fasting and 
some of these other habits that the world has told us healthy that are healthy, but are actually hurting you, we'd see these testosterone levels go up naturally without having to go and start injecting yourself and putting a top of the funnel or top of the pyramid hormone into our body and eliminating the five, six, seven, 800 processes that actually need to occur in order to get to that level. So, um, it, I, I'm just such an advocate of understanding your body at a high level, knowing what's actually going on and being more proactive, um, than rather reactive in that way. So you're not, you're not pro fasting. It sounds like. I, again, I didn't say that. Um, okay. I, I like you. I fasting is a tool and I think it's a what, tool. What's the longest you, you've ever fasted for? I fast things on a regular basis. Um, are you, are you talking about fasting complete of food or just doing a water fast or just water? Yeah. Water fast. Yeah. Three days. And I think I've done it once. Okay. I, I was thinking, should I do a four or a seven next? I, I don't know. You know, I like to challenge myself, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's one thing. This is getting into a philosophical, a uh, little bit of a philosophical conversation too. How long did Gandhi fast for? Do you know? I have no idea, <laughs> but at the same time, if you looked at Gandhi's, I mean, I'm not even going to go there, <laughs> but, um, if we're looking for true health and performance, true health and health optimization, um, the world has just completely turned this thing on its head and started to give out the, whether it's 75 hard, whether it's three, five day water fat, three and five day water fast, whether it's the, the cold plunging every single morning, um, whether it's the intermittent fasting craze, like all of these things have just been randomly thrown out and said, these are what we need to do. These are the greatest things in the world. But if you actually start going and looking, and I'm not saying looking at studies, I'm saying looking at specific studies, specific studies that are controlled, randomized human trials. They have to have those three words in it. If they're not randomized, if they're not controlled, and they're not human studies, you can throw them away because it's too easy to make data look at like whatever you want it to look like, whether it's with um, a small human, whether it's a small um, uh, sample set, whether it's a sample set that doesn't actually reflect you at all. Because if all of a sudden we did a, and again, if you look at a lot of the intermittent fasting studies that have been done, it's looking at morbidly obese individuals who um, are being studied. Well, you or I are not morbidly obese. So we are not going to have the same results and it's not going to have the same effect on somebody who's morbidly obese as it will on you and I. In you and I, it quite frankly will probably slow down metabolism if done over the course of time because our body is now changing the way in which it's getting nutrients and in which it's way it's being activated in which it's having to break down food on a regular basis. So I like intermittent fasting when... We don't call it intermittent fasting. What do I mean by that? A, a, a philosophy that we teach, again, going back to personalization, is habit structures, habit bases. So what we say is we don't want to eat within two hours of waking. Why? Because what we do within two hours of waking is we get water, we get our electrolytes, we get sunlight, we get our feet on the bare ground, and we get some type of movement with heat exposure in. Over the course of that, first two hours, that's what we should be focusing on, not going and getting something in our system. So that's two hours. Coffee. I'll get to that in a second. 
two hours after we wake, that's when we have our first meal. Now, three hours before we go to bed, we shut down any type of major meal. So if we go to bed on an average of about 10 o'clock, we wouldn't take in any more food after 7 p.m. Why? Because when you take in food, there's 400 times more melatonin produced in your gut than is produced by the pineal gland in our brain. So when we take in food, our body now has to become a digestive source. It starts breaking down that food. Well, now it's not releasing as much melatonin. Well, breaking down food is stressful. It's going to increase cortisol. So that's why when you eat food or you're trying to stay up late at night, you get this little... Um, uh, this little bat in your head going, Hey, I'm hungry. Hey, I need to eat. It's called the ghrelin gremlin. Who's going to tell you, you need to get food into your system because it's going to start to increase cortisol to wake you up. If anybody has ever done work late at night, what's the first thing you want to do? You want to grab a snack. That's why. So if we're eating late into the evening within three hours of wake of going to bed, there's going to be a digestive process in our stomach that's not going to allow melatonin to be released as heavily. We're going to have a rise in cortisol, and thus we are not going to get the greatest quality of sleep that we need, which will then put us into sleep deprivation over the course of um, a week, a month, a, a year. What, what, is, what is your HRV like? My average is 107. Your HRV? Yeah. At night? What do you mean? Your HRV at night? My every morning. So I use a whoop. Um, we're heavily, heavy in partnership with whoop in, in our company. And so all of our clients, all of our corporate teams, all of our athletic teams, they all Your use whoop. HRV is 107 at night. My average is 107. Yes. <laughs> is that yeah. like, is that? <laughs> I mean, my, 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 my resting heart, my, my average resting heart rate at night is 39. Um, my, so you're, you're, you're like an Olympic athlete. See, and that's again, a, a misnomer is I'm, I'm, I'm not like an Olymp, I'm not like an Olympic athlete. I have a well oiled, well operating body. That's what it is. I, I, I can't. I can't squat like an Olympic athlete. I can't sprint like an Olympic athlete. I can't run like an Olympic athlete. I can't, um, I can't do anything like a, like a, like an Olympic athlete. But what I do is I've set systems up in my life so that I can perform in business. I can perform as a father. I can perform as a husband. I can perform as a friend. I can perform as a business owner. I can perform as a leader like an Olympic athlete. Yeah, that's, so, but when did you start tracking your HRV? When I was 13. <laughs> when all the other, when all the other kids are playing in the street, yeah. you're, you're, that was like 20 years ago. And they, did they, they even knew what this was back then? This was a thing? Yeah. Great question. So no, um, I, if I, if I go back to this, so I remember at 13 years old, I asked my dad, well, um, and my mom for a heart rate monitor for Christmas. And again, this is when Polar just came out with their first uh, first heart rate monitor. And I think it was like 14, 1500 bucks for a heart rate monitor, something stupid. And uh, where now you can get them for like 40 or $50. So um, you, you got a heart rate monitor. I got a CD burner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, so I went, I, when I said to my parents, I was like, hey, can I get a heart rate monitor for Christmas? They're like, what's wrong with you? Like, what? are you sick? I was like, no, I'm just, I want, I'm, I want to know more about my system, more about my body. And as I started to mo monitor this, 
nobody knew what HRV was, but there was a study um, that had come out in 1998. And uh, I, Again, talk about weird. Like I set up everything to do this. I got a um, uh, a subscription to a quarterly um, uh, health research health research magazine that would send these quarterly periodicals, all of different um, studies, to my house, and I would peruse through them. And there was this one study that talked about heart rate variability. And it's um, and it's improvement on uh, on health. And I was like, well, this is interesting. How do you measure HRV? And so you had to go and I was doing it manually every single night. I would record I would take the uh, the entire night's worth of data from the the heart rate beats. I would get the um, I would get the differences between each. I would put it through the uh, the equation, square root of the mean successive difference, um, MSSRD. And every morning I would plot that number and I'd take a look over the course of a week, a month, a year, and be able to see the variances and understand what habits and behaviors I was engaging in, basic, basing them around my fitness level, basing them around uh, how much sleep I got, what I ate the night before, how hydrated I was, um, if uh, the, my stress levels, all of these things, and started to understand what helped me and what hindered me. And literally built my life by design starting at the age of 13. Um, and uh, for the last 24 years, um, 23 years, I've been I've been doing the exact same thing and uh, was able to then obviously go through my education and really validate it, learn more, get really deep into what was going on. And then um, on the professional side, being able to do that with the best athletes in the world. And now uh, the most aspirational, um, uh, and, and hard charging entrepreneurs in the world. Did you play hockey? Is that what got brought you towards the NHL? Okay. So what, how, what happened there? Yeah, I did. I was a, I was a hockey player. Um, again, very talented. Um, not the biggest guy, five, nine, um, 185 pounds today. So like you can think about, um, kind of me as, as, as a player throughout the, the whole thing, I really have, my body really hasn't changed. My look really hasn't changed. Uh, I'd say probably in 15 years. Uh, so since How I was they 20, fit that long name on the back, <laughs> they, they always had to do smaller font. That's for sure. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I was playing with, uh, 14, 15 year olds as, as a 12 year old. And that was when my dad said to me, son, talent will get you noticed, but consistency will get you paid. And continuing to lean into that, I uh, came down to the uh, States on a hockey scholarship, um, played in college. Um, okay, with, so you're, uh, are you Canadian or are you I from? am. Okay. Yep. Yep, Where in Edmonton. Canada did you come from? Edmonton. Okay. Yeah. So All right, keep, yeah, keep going. Yeah, so came down on a hockey scholarship and then I uh, was a goaltender actually. And so uh, after... Um, I finished uh, my college, um, went and was a third third goaltender practice goalie in the American League for uh the Springfield Falcons while I was doing my um uh master's degree um at the University of Louisville and uh just realized I had just this massive passion for what we were doing and what I was what I was learning and what I was understanding and applying and uh, I still remember even in undergrad uh while I was still playing I was doing all of this on myself like I ran my own uh, performance 
system on myself. I would, I would wear a heart rate monitor under my gear. Um, I'd look at all the data after each ice session, after each training session, where I was at, um, uh, overloading, underloading, where I needed to get condition more, what days I needed to focus more on strength. I'd program it all for myself. Um, and then making sure nutritionally and recovery wise, I was, I was establishing this everything that we're talking about now with the cold plunging, with uh, red light therapy, with hyperbaric oxygen chambers. Um, uh, Dr. Chris Pru, uh, who is um, one of my professors in my undergraduate program, uh, he and I were doing research all the time. I think in undergrad, I had nine or 10 research papers published together on um, just different performance-based performance metrics things from uh, effective um, hyperbaric oxygen therapy on uh, heart rate variability recovery to, um, uh, we used this system called OptoJump, which was looking at reflexive, um, abilities of the nervous system, uh, on fatigued, uh, pre-fatigued versus post-fatigued, um, uh, bodies and, and it's, uh, and it's impact on heart rate variability. Like all of this stuff I was doing just because I loved it and I wanted to know more. I wanted to understand it. And when you understand something, it's all of a sudden when you're convicted, uh, everybody in this world thinks they know what healthy living looks like. Well, if you actually understood what you knew, you wouldn't have to be convinced to change the way you're living, change your habits, change your behaviors, because you'd understand the consequences that are inevitably coming down the road. But the fact that you're just stuck in this state of knowing you're always having to try to be convinced, convinced to eat something different, convinced to supplement something different, convinced to go to bed earlier, convinced to train a certain way, convinced to hydrate a certain way, convinced to get into a certain environment, convinced to do something from a simple mindset change. But the convincing gets old because the convincing takes willpower. And the moment you don't see it work immediately, you don't see an immediately ret immediate return. You're going to go back because all of a sudden you're like, um, I, I'm really not convinced. But when you actually understand what's going on internally within your body, when you actually understand what's happening, when you change the habits, change the behaviors, you are then convicted on what it is that you need to do. And you have the patience, you have the wherewithal, you have the staying power, you have the consistency that's necessary to get the outcomes that you're really looking for. So what, and, what do you think health-wise are the top three habits and behaviors people can focus on? Again, I, you're going to hate my answer. I, there are none. I, there, <laughs> there's, there's, there's no three. Like it's, I hate all your marketers are going to look at me and go, oh, Justin, you're just missing an opportunity to have massive clickbait. Well, no, this is the clickbait. There is no best thing. There is no best thing. There's eight areas or eight foundational levers that can be pulled that improve heart rate variability and how your body handles stress and stress. The core is our, you, you, you think the, the core focus of health is based around HRV. Is that, or is that, am I, am I straight? So, so let me back up to those eight pillars, because when I talk about the eight foundational principles that impact heart rate variability, that impact your overall health, their training and movement, hydration, nutrition, sleep, immune function, environment, self-care, and mindset. Those eight foundational principles all have different habits under each one. 
And what do I mean by this? Different habits that consist or that, that exist under each of these different pillar platforms. For example, under training and movement, sprint one time a week, strength train three days a week, get your heart rate above uh, 80% for 20 minutes a week, 10,000 steps per day, 90 minutes of zone two conditioning per week, 30 minutes of undistracted training per day, moving every 90 minutes throughout your day, meaning not being strapped to your desk, walk for five minutes after every meal. There's data and real studies, human randomized control studies. Remember, I talked to you about that, that show that these habits have massive impact on health and longevity. You come to mindset, 15 minutes of meditation or breath work per day, 15 minutes of gratitude journaling per day, 15 minutes of positive uh, visualization per day, uh, connecting with a mentor one time per week. You go to nutrition, three meals per day, completing eating three hours before uh, bedtime, starting eating three hours after you wake up, walking for five minutes after every meal, portion size control. You go to hydration, half you, your body weight in ounces. Of you water. remind me of, you know, Craig Ballantyne, like yeah. just the most disciplined, you, yeah. you remind, you remind, you have air of him. So yeah. immune function, this is, I, 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 I kind of understand it, but I don't know what it means. I got, I think I got all the other ones though. Can yeah. you explain to the audience what immune function you, that's one of the top eight. Yes. Yeah, so, so when you think of immune response, immune response is how, so let me back up. The way that your immune system functions is think about your castle sitting in this big, beautiful forest. And around that castle is a moat, big, big moat full of water. And manning your castle are a bunch of little men and women, little army creatures that when little bacteria, little um, uh, viruses try to crash your moat, they're just picking them off with these guns and stuff behind them. Well, what do we know about stress? Your body doesn't know the difference, mental, physical, spiritual, emotional stress. And so those same little men and women that are picking off the viruses and bacteria when you don't get enough sleep. They've got to go and they've got to go handle the stress that's handling in your body. They've got to go handle the immune response from eating in inflammatory foods. They've got to go handle the stress response of healing your uh, muscles, tendons, bones, ligaments after a hard workout. They're the ones that have to go and um, heal the uh, areas when you haven't gotten enough hydration in. And so what happens is because there's not as many men and women ready to pick off all the bacteria and viruses coming, that's when you start to get sick. That's when th these bacteria start to overtake your body. And so there are certain things that you can do to increase your immune response or repair your uh, body's ability to actually function at a higher level. Number one is 100 minutes of heat exposure or sauna exposure or steam room exposure uh, per week. Cold plunging. Cold plunging is great. I never said I didn't like it. I just said the way that it's used in this society is terrible. 11 minutes per week is all that you need. It's the Soberg principle. And so how I suggest people cold, pl cold plunge or use it is you only cold exposure on days when your HRV is above your 10-day average, meaning that you have capacity to take on more stress. You're prepared for it. 15 minutes of direct sun exposure to per day. 
20 minutes of direct contact with the ground per day, creating alkalinity, grounding, creating a custom multivitamin every single morning through our business, the testing that we do. We do cellular micronutrient testing. What are you deficient in? Vitamins, minerals, amino acids, and cofactor enzymes. We actually custom formulate something for you that's based on this so we can start to build on this. Red light. Can we get exposed to red light? Hyperbaric oxygen um, exposure. Um, uh, breath work. These are all things that increase your immune response and are all habit driven that bring us into a more conscious, more aware, more functional, um, and, uh, more intentional way of living so that we can get the outcomes that we're looking for. And every single habit that I, that I spoke about, or pardon me, every foundational principle, all eight, all have these lists of 10 to 15 different high performance habits that we start to figure out what is really focused, purposeful for you. That's going to get you the biggest bang for your buck. Andrew, for you, you might have a great response with going for a 20 minute walk every morning and getting the sunlight while listening to something, um, like a, like a Bible app or something in your, in your ear and then coming back and getting five minutes of grounding. And that's really great for you where somebody else, they might need the, the sauna exposure and that's where they get their breath work and meditation in and, um, being, and doing red light at night, other people, it might be different. And so when you lean into how your body's different, how it's uniquely made, how it's uniquely designed, it's only at that point that you're able to do something different than everybody else and get different outcomes to allow yourself to be uncommon, to allow yourself to be elevated, to allow yourself to create difference, to allow yourself to create separation and really lean into um, the energy, the vitality, the mental clarity, the focus, and the impact that you are meant to drive out. Yeah, I, you know your stuff, man. So, so flash a little bit here. You worked for some NHL teams. What was that like? You, you, did you get? I think you you said you played minor league hockey. Was that was that it? Yeah, I, a cup of coffee. I was a I was a practice goaltender. Oh yeah, I, I wrote down. Hey, what? I wanted your coffee advice here. Oh, yeah. Then to drink coffee, or if you even drink coffee, like I no, have. So, what is your um, opinion? I've drank uh, I've drank two cups of coffee in my life. Um, <laughs> okay. I I I run. 100% off of uh, circadian rhythm optimization. And uh, does this mean that I don't believe that coffee um, can be impactful? No. Um, again, from a genetic test, um, again, that we do through our through our company, we, we when we talk about testing and knowing your body, there's really four things that I do every single quarter. So I did my DNA and epigenetic testing uh, once to understand what my genetic predispositions are. Genetic predisposition from the utilization of coffee, I have a gene mutation that actually increases my risk for heart attack stroke um, by taking in caffeine uh, greater than 100 milligrams a day. And so um, the funny part about that is I notice it. If I was to take in any type of stimulant, a Red Bull, um, green tea, coffee, my heart feels like it's beating out of my chest and I actually can't focus. Like I, I feel short of breath. I feel like I've got an elephant on my chest. So I don't utilize caffeine for that exact reason. Um, the other things I do quarterly is I do my cellular lipid paneling and then I do my micronutrient testing 
quarterly to get then my custom formulated supplement built every single quarter. And that's what I do in a highly preventable way. So coming back to um, that statement of, um, of coffee, there's some people that utilizing coffee before um, a workout, before a run, before these things is probably beneficial. Now, what becomes negative is when you're utilizing coffee to wake up and get energy in the morning. And what ends up happening is it throws off circadian rhythm because you're waking up tired, but then going to bed wired because the half-life of caffeine in our system, depending on the speed and rate of uh, your metabolic breakdown and utilization of it is somewhere between six and 10 hours. So let's just go in the middle and say your breakdown is eight hours. So the half-life, meaning it breaks in half every eight hours. So if you take in 200 milligrams of caffeine at noon, actually, let's say two cups of coffee a day. Let's go 8 a.m. and then noon. You take in uh, 200 milligrams of coffee at 8 a.m. Well, by math, at 4 p.m., that's eight hours later, you would still have 100 milligrams active in your system but you already had a cup of coffee again at noon. So you now have closer to 300 milligrams active in your system. Well, now you take yourself eight hours later in midnight, you still have 150 milligrams of caffeine active in your system, which is going to impact sleep quality. Not to mention that there is, um, a, uh, a mechanism in our brain, the caffeine actually starts to bind to these receptors that don't allow us to neurologically shut down at night. And because it doesn't allow us to neurologically shut down at night, it keeps us awake. And so we go into this cycle of tired in the morning and wired at night, simply because our bodies haven't been able to break down and eliminate all the caffeine that's been present within our system. And it starts to put us in an adverse effect. And so I don't mind caffeine for if we're looking for an increase in performance on a very specific thing like a run or an athletic event or something like that. But just as a habit form, it it's unnecessary. And for people looking to get off of caffeine, um, and we can fast, just fast. Well, if you don't want to go cold turkey, um, there's a company called Savorista that does a really great job. It's decaffeinated craft coffee from Costa Rica. It's amazing. A lot of our clients utilize it in trying to take this off, but then habitually in the morning, you want to focus on four things, light, heat, water, and air. So you want bright light immediately when waking up, you want to get exposed to heat. So if that's a sauna, if that's a, if you have an eight sleep on your bed, cranking the heat first thing, uh, that uses your alarm clock to wake you up, um, uh, getting some form of activity in water, you want to get, uh, 20 ounces of cold or cool water with electrolytes into your system and then breath work or being air, which is upregulating breaths, meaning two on the inhale, one on the exhale. So in, in, out, in, in, out, like a Wim Hof breath. If you can go through those four things, it naturally stimulates, naturally increases cortisol, naturally decreases melatonin, which will start to flip and inverse relate or inverse correlate your, um, uh, your energy factors and your, um, interaction of melatonin and cortisol, which will put you back on a natural curve in a much, uh, much greater way. So without using caffeine and, and coffee to actually get going. Yeah. 
Yeah, I didn't realize it stayed in your system that long. Oh, yeah. But let's call it an average of eight hours. Half Does, do you think that affects the HRV? Well, maybe, maybe it does. 100%. It 100% does because uh, your resting heart rate is a direct influencer of heart rate variability. So if resting heart rate is high, HRV will be low. If a resting heart rate is low, HRV will be high. It's just how the body works. And if we think about it, which is why you have your greatest and highest heart rate variabilities at night, or you should, is because your resting heart rate drops as low as it, as it possibly can. And the deeper stages of sleep you get into, the lower your resting heart rate is going to go as well. And so we can, if we dive deep into sleep, you've got four sleep stages. You've got a light sleep stage, a slow wave sleep, a REM sleep, and a wake cycle. Those are four stages that your body goes through. It takes approximately 90 minutes to get through any of these stages. And the difference between a quality sleeper and a non-quality sleeper is how long during that 90 minutes you spend in REM and slow wave sleep. So everybody, you could, you could sleep for seven and a half hours. I actually, let's do easier math for me without having to figure it out. You could sleep for eight hours. I could sleep for eight hours. If you sleep at eight hours for 50% in quality sleep being REM or slow wave, that's four hours of quality sleep. If I sleep at 25%, that's two hours in REM and slow wave. Well, you've all of a sudden gotten two hours greater quality of sleep, which is more restorative mentally, more restorative physically, and you're going to wake refreshed in the morning with a higher HRV and a lower resting heart rate. I am going to have an elevated resting heart rate and a depleted heart rate variability. Chronically over time, that starts to play off, and I will go into sleep deprivation, possibly get sick, not be at my best start to develop symptoms that we talked about earlier in the show. And I will just consider that normal going, well, I sleep eight hours a night. Well, in fact, I haven't set my habits and behaviors up appropriately to get me into those deeper stages of sleep. And I can't make up sleep quality. If you think about it, if you're getting two hours of more quality sleep than I am every single night, and we're sleeping the exact same amount of time, Ultimately, over the course of a, of a day, it's two hours. Over the week, it's 14 hours. Over the course of a month, it's 60 hours. Over the course of a year, it's 700, and, and 700 plus hours. I can't do the math. How much deep sleep are you? How much slow wave and REM are you getting? I, I average about 49% every single night. Uh, over how many hours? Eight hours? Uh, depends. Depends. Um, I my average is pretty consistent around seven seven hours and fifteen minutes. Um, but like nights like last night, I went to the Miami Dolphins and Buffalo Bills football game, right. and uh, I got home late, and I woke up still at the same time, six a.m. You, you, you're in Miami. Are you a, are you a Dolphin or are you a Bills fan? No, oh, Bills fan. My wife's from Miami. My Bills Mafia, my wife and her entire family is from Buffalo. So we're all okay. Bills fans. And they but, won. I think um, I checked. I didn't sleep. I didn't stay up that late, but I think they won. They did win. And they're, uh, so they're, they won the clinch the division and have a home game um, against Pittsburgh, I think. So, um, so you think about that and you start to kind of come back to like the sleep quality thing. Consistency is the most important thing. So great case, case study last night. Typically, Somebody who goes to bed, um, I, I'm typically sleeping by 10 uh, and waking up at six. That's usually my 
that's like 95% of the time. That's my, that's my routine. Last night I was sleeping by 1230 because of the late night. A lot of people, what they would do is they would push it. They'd wake up at 730. They'd sleep in the next day. But because I woke up consistently, I still had that same pattern. I still woke up. I was energized. I got my workout in. I got everything done that I needed to. And my HRV was still high, even though I have a depleted um, sleep quality time and sleep quantity time. But my quality was still at that 50% mark. And How so, many hours a day are you working out to get these, these metrics? <laughs> Everybody would think that I'm training for... Two, three, well, I would say hours. at least two hours is my guess, but 40, 45 to 60 minutes a day. Okay. Right. Is it just highly concentrated, highly focused workout? No, it's, it's purposely, purposely, purposefully programmed. So when I say in level of intentionality and, and, and purpose, I work out for 45 to an hour a day. I, those will be strength training sessions. Those will be um, somewhere between a five and 10 mile run. Those will be, uh, some, I'll do a, a track day once a week for sprinting and high interval work. Um, I'll do like some functional work on another day. I'll pair yoga and like stretching and movement with my, in, in the sauna, um, every day, but my zone two work, I'll throw a heart rate or I'll throw a 70 pound weight vest on. And I'll go take one of my meetings today walking and walking and talking outside instead of just being strapped to my desk and sitting. So working out and training 45 to 60 minutes, but I'm intentional throughout my day. And I just don't sit here and become a desk junkie, which a lot of our society has been just trained to do. And they think about going and multitasking and, or, day stacking and they just don't do it because there's a lack of intentionality. So that's why when I talk about these habits and these behaviors and knowing your data and knowing your information and building a life by design, that's when everything changes. And if you're not willing to do that, or you've been unwilling to do it thus far, that's where you're going to fall short. And so not only does this, what our company does and actually creates this deep level of personalization from coaching tech, and testing and create your blueprint for you to implement in. But the book that I wrote, uh, The Power of Ownership, uh, Redeem Your Health, Live Life by Design and Break the Aggressive Pursuit of Normal, you're able to actually see this blueprint and build it build it for you and yourself if that's something that you uh, you desire and that, and that you're looking for. And that uh, we talked about before, that's coming out, that comes out in April, was it? Yeah, comes out in April. Uh, book launch officially starts in a week. So if you go to thepowerofownership.com, uh, you'll be able to find um, all access to the pre-order of the book. All the um, uh, if you order the book on uh, on pre-order, you're going to get access to about six different bonus offers um, that uh, that are all free to anybody who book orders the book, um, and then. Uh, also get entered in a bunch of raffles uh, to have um, myself come in and do a free keynote for you or your work or for you or your team um, to get access to free one-on-one -on -one coaching with myself, as well as um, uh, a free masterclass for you and your friends. So uh, it's really just opening up um, to help educate and, and reach more people and, and create a really powerful change. Are you going to do an audible? Uh, we will. We'll do an audible about 
two to three months after the book launches, um, just for uh, to to get the tangible book in people's hands. Nice. That I, I, I'm a I like I love Audible. That's my I love Audible. Totally. Man, you I wrote down you are a wealth of health knowledge. That was. <laughs> I mean, we had Gary Brecka on. You're in Miami. He's in Miami. Do you guys know each other? We do. Okay. Yeah. You guys have similar, you know, mentalities on this. So yeah. hopefully there's some sort of synergies or business going on between the two of you because together, I feel like, you know, that's next level. Yeah. We can. It sounds uh, like you're just doing, you're, you guys are doing similar things. Similar, similar, but different. Um, again, I love Gary. Gary's a wealth of knowledge. Um, uh, the business offerings are very, very different. Um, meaning that, uh, what our focus was, was really to reach, teach and empower people, um, to understand their bodies at a better level, um, to create fully customized, uh, setups. So when you're talking about, uh, N of one solutions. That's what we've been really focused on. Um, and then educating, um, the end user so that they can take ownership. Uh, and that's really been our big focus. And so there's definitely, uh, uh, some things we can do to, um, help and level up and empower, um, uh, Gary's audience and those that have leaned into the, the 10 X space, but, um, it's, it's, it's going, it's getting more personalized to you. It's getting more educated. It's get going to a deeper level um, and making a, making a bigger impact. Well, I didn't realize you can get your HRV to 107. Is the highest I've ever had a 72. I'm at like 40 on the reg. So I need work. And, I, and when I fasted, it got to 60. So I, I got... Yeah, we got we got some holes there we need to fix for sure. Clearly, I thought I was doing all right. You know, I was like, I'm not dead. Andrew, how old are you? 43. Yeah. So as a 43-year-old male, uh, you're typically going to want to see an average, HRV average uh, of around 50 to 58. And that's that's like right in the middle. Um, and so um, ideally, if we can get into the 60s and 70s uh, as an average, that's telling me that your body is handling the stress and strain. It's got a large capacity to be able to push and do more. So uh, we'd want to see we'd want to see somewhere in that 75 to 80% increase in your average um, by again, consistently changing some of the habits and behaviors that we're engaging in. Yeah. I know there's work to do. I know it needs to be done. I just don't do it. I'm like one of those people, you know, I like to attempt to work smart instead of and hard, but like find the balance, but I, I, I you know, it is what it is. It's so here's the thing. Here's the thing that I think, um, you said something that I want your listeners to hear. And this is a message that has really just been coming that I've been pushing because a lot of people might hear what we're talking about and go, Oh, health optimization. I don't need to do that. That's not something that I need to lean into. Well, health optimization is not perfection. Health optimization is the pursuit of better. It's the pursuit of better than you are today. It's the pursuit of better than you want to be tomorrow. And too many people have the mindset of, well, I feel fine. I'm not noticing anything. I can function. I'm waking up in the morning. I'm able to get my work done, but I just don't feel great. But that's okay. That's just normal. I'm not dead. I'm not going to die. 
by not knowing what my HRV is, by not knowing what my um, micronutrient deficiencies are, by not knowing what my DNA and epigenetic information is telling me, it's not going to kill me. And I'll always say, you're right. It won't kill you today, but it could lead you down that road tomorrow. And I know we're only living for the present. I know we live for what's going on now, but if you can have a more energized, a more focused, a more aware, a more alert, a more elevated life, who wouldn't sign up for that? All right. Thank you, Justin. You killed it, man. Health genius right here. I mean, get the book. I'm going to get the book on audible just to give you a heads up, but you got one sold there. And, uh, Look him up on Instagram, Facebook, wherever he's at. You see his name, the spelling, get it in there. And uh, we'll catch up with you later, Justin. Awesome, Andrew. Appreciate you. Thank you, Justin.